expected to go home, his company drew the shortest of short straws, and they'd been deployed here to Checkpoint Zulu, 240 kilometers from the Kuwaiti border. He had no idea why. This time there was nothing to look forward to but peace. Endless, tedious, nondescript, fluffy, white peace. You could eat a grenade. You really could. It was into this stagnant vortex of quietude and for-nothingness that a form approached Arwood from across the desert. Like everything in Iraq, it came at him sideways. Arwood didn't look. He sort of liked not knowing. Perhaps it was a guy wearing sandals who had a beard like Jesus. Or maybe it wasn't a man at all. Maybe it was the ghost of Christmas yet to come who was doing his rounds and was there to let Arwood know that, on account of global warming, acid rain, and El Nino, not to mention the global shortage of decent people and the high price of coal, Christmas was going to be canceled. Whatever it was was getting bigger, which probably meant it was getting closer. It probably wasn't something dangerous, though. It was approaching from this side of the ceasefire line. But it wasn't going to be anything good either. It wasn't going to be one of Charlie's angels. It wasn't going to be Daisy Duke. It wasn't going to be Kelly LeBrock in her blue and white panties appearing out of red mist from a doorway. No, it was probably going to be orders. A different mind, a different person might have welcomed orders, because it would have ushered in change. Not Arwood. The only thing worse than boredom was labor, and he didn't want to wash anything, dig anything, move anything, stack anything, fill anything, load anything, unload anything, peel anything, or, and this was critical, smell anything awful. Given that he was 22 and a private, rather than, say, 50 and a nuclear physicist, all these things were on the short list of the possible. No, he wasn't going to look up. He would cherish the uncertainty for as long as he could, which fate had decided would end right about now. Want a cigarette? asked a man who was now man-sized and to his right. The man stood next to Arwood's sandbags. Arwood considered them his sandbags, not so much because he was manning a machine gun behind them as because he was the one who had filled them. Arwood accepted the cigarette by opening his mouth. The man placed it in and lit it. Arwood inhaled, grateful, only that it gave him a pretext to keep breathing. I'm Thomas Benton, the man said. Uh-huh. What's your name? Arwood Hobbs. Hobbs. Interesting name to take into a war zone. Why? Uh, no reason. Where are you from? America. Yes, I, I figured, given the uniform, any place special. Never felt like it. I'm from a village in Cornwall, Benton offered. I don't know where that is. Cornwall is in England. That's overseas, right? Yes. Thomas Benton squatted down behind Arwood's sandbags because it was cool and shady there. Benton looked across the desert to the still town a kilometer and a half away.
You're a journalist? Yes, the Times. Arwood did not move from his resting position. When's this war gonna end? What? The war. It did. The war is over. This is the peace. Now the lawyers are drafting the UN permanent ceasefire resolution. We're waiting for paperwork? It's the Western way of war. Even Hitler filed his paperwork. Without it, we become confused. What's your job? I'm maintaining a vigilant perimeter. Safwan, Benton said, if you're curious, is way back there. That's where your general, Stormin Norman, met the Iraqi High Command. It is also where he made the mistake of letting them fly helicopters, which is what they're using to kill...